And so this has been my experience of looking for an apartment. There's a lot of things that you want to take into consideration when you're looking for a place to live. Most people, if they get to choose what city they want to live in, they're going to look for things like a low crime rate, right? You don't want to be in the spot of town that nobody wants to go by or that has a very high crime rate. On the flip side, like Linda said, you want to have a low cost of living, though. You don't want it to cost a lot, your rent, mortgage, whatever you want to call it. You don't want to have a lot of high gas, you know, although everybody has high gas right now, and groceries, things like that. You want a low cost of living, but you want it to be a really nice and safe neighborhood. So if you can balance those things, let me know, because I've not been able to figure that out quite yet. You want the schools to be nice, right? You'd like your kids to learn something if you have kids. You want to have nice schools. You'd like for the weather to be nice. You don't want it to be an extreme maybe, or maybe you like it really cold or really hot for some reason. You don't want to have to drive a lot to your place of work. You want a nice transportation time. You want the amenities and the community services to be nice. I've got a dog, so I've been looking for either places I can rent with a fenced-in yard or some kind of dog park nearby because he definitely needs to run around and uh, burn off some calories. You want to have um, nice people that you're living by. You don't want to live in a mean area with people that um, aren't very friendly. And you want it to have um, good jobs, especially if you're choosing what city you want to move into. There's a lot of things that you take into consideration as you think about where am I going to live, whether it's the city you live in or the house that you live in, how many bedrooms does it have, what kind of kitchen does it have. Um, you know, for men and women, it probably changes. Women are probably a little bit more concerned about how big the kitchen is, things like that. Men are concerned about where they can put their big screen TV on the wall, you know. Um, these are things we take into consideration as we're choosing where to live. But what I've learned in looking for an apartment, and what I'm sure all of you have learned, is that no house is perfect, is it? There's always something that can go wrong. There's no city that's perfect either to live in. There's always some kind of drawback. If you like living out in the country, away from people, you're far away from grocery stores and things like that. If you like living in the city where you're close to stuff, you've got to live around a whole bunch of people. Now, there might be things based on your personality that matter more or less to you, but there's no city that's perfect. There's no state that's perfect either. Now, some states are better than other states. I came from Illinois and I moved to Indiana, and one of those states is better than the other one, but I won't go into that. <clears throat> there's no country that's perfect either. Aren't we learning that from our political leaders, that there's just no country that's perfect? There's countries that are good. There's countries that have been great, but there's no country that's perfect either. And then obviously our world is not perfect. But the thing about us as believers is that this world is not our home. It's not our final destination. Whether you buy an apartment like I'm buying or a house or um, just a piece of property, wherever it is, you're not going to stay there forever. You're looking to move on. You're looking to go to someplace else. For us as believers, this world is not our home. And in our text this morning, we're talking about the kingdom of God. Micah chapter 4 is predicting the coming kingdom of God, the coming kingdom of Christ. If you've been in our study of Micah with us, 
There's three different messages that Micah gives to the people of Israel and Judah. And they all have the same kind of pattern. He talks about how they've messed up, how they've sinned against God, how they didn't get it right. Then usually God's judgment is talked about in some way. And then at the end of each message, there's this promise of hope. We saw that in Micah chapter 2. That after Israel is judged, that God would gather together this remnant and he would send this shepherd king to lead the people of Israel. In Micah 3, which we looked at last week, we saw this sin of the people and this judgment from God. Their leaders didn't know what justice was. Their prophets were preaching or predicting the wrong things for money. Their priests were giving their own interpretations of the law for extra money. And in verse 12 it says, Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem shall be a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house of the Lord will become a wooded height. You know what they learned? Their city wasn't perfect either. Their country wasn't perfect. They'd sinned against God even as the people of God. But then we get into Micah chapter 4. And Micah chapter 4 is talking about the coming kingdom of God. We as a church believe that after the rapture and after the tribulation, there will be a literal physical kingdom here on the earth for a thousand years where we will rule and reign with Christ. It's part of God's plan for the ages, for what is going to come. And so we're talking about the future literal kingdom that is going to be coming. That's what Micah is talking about in Micah 4. And before we get into the text, our question is why? Why are we talking about this? Why does Micah bring this up? Why are we going to spend the next several minutes looking at the kingdom of God? Why does this matter? Well, the kingdom is part of every believer's future destination, as we clearly see in Scripture. Actually, the kingdom is God, the culmination, or it's the completion, of God's plan to rule the earth. In Genesis, God created the earth, right? He created the earth, and he said it was very good. And what did he tell man? He gave man dominion over the earth. He let Adam name all the animals. He gave Adam and Eve responsibilities to go and be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. But what did Adam and Eve do? They sinned. They sinned against God. They messed up. Because of that, the earth is not perfect, but the earth is actually sinful. Man is given a responsibility to rule over the earth, to have dominion over the earth, but they don't get it right. But there is coming a kingdom here on the earth, physically, where Christ is going to be the king. He's going to come down and be the king. And his kingdom is going to be better. In fact, his kingdom will be perfect. If you want to live in a perfect house, a perfect city, a perfect kingdom, then you want to live in this kingdom that we are talking about. The kingdom is a major theme throughout scripture. It's talked about in the Old Testament several times. Christ in Matthew, it says he's preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. It is a major theme throughout scripture. In fact, one of my professors says it is the major theme throughout scripture, that everything in some way connects back to this theme of 
the coming kingdom. And then as I said earlier, it's part of God's plan for every believer. I'm not preaching this message this morning because I want to talk about the end times. You know, sometimes we don't really like to talk about the end times because it's confusing and there's a lot of analogies, things like that. But we're talking about this this morning. I'm preaching this message in one sense because it's the next section of Micah, but also because it is important and is part of every believer's destination. And so what I want us to see this morning is this, that we can have hope in the coming kingdom of God during times of injustice. If you get sick of where you're living, if you get sick of who your leaders are, if you get upset with how things are going, where you live, if you're not happy, you can have hope in the coming kingdom of God. And that hope is more than just getting a master bathroom or a full kitchen or a backyard for your dog to run around in. But that hope is in the fact that your leader is going to be perfect. So I want us to see this morning four reasons to look forward to the kingdom of God. And the first one is this. The kingdom will have a better capital. The kingdom will have a better capital. Look at verse 1 with me. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. Now the biggest question we have here is what are the latter days? He starts talking about this future time period. Are the latter days in a couple weeks, a couple years? Are they today? Are they still coming? And it's a bit tricky, and there's a lot of opinions on when the latter days are, but I would say it's a future time when Christ comes and he builds his kingdom here on earth after the rapture and after the tribulation. I believe there are some aspects of the coming kingdom or of what Micah is talking about that will be fulfilled, that have been fulfilled now or will be fulfilled now. But the bulk of what he's saying in Micah 4 is still coming in the future millennial kingdom of Christ. That's the latter days that he's talking about. Now we've got to ask ourselves, secondly, what is the mountain of the house of the Lord? We'll look back at verse at chapter 3 with me. At verse 12, the mountain of the house of the Lord will become a wooded height. It's talking about the temple of God. The temple would be torn down. It would be destroyed. Now we know it would, in fact, be rebuilt again, would be rebuilt even after Micah made this prophecy. But Micah is saying there's going to come a day in the latter days, in the last days, when the temple is rebuilt, it's been destroyed, it is rebuilt, and it will be what? Established as the highest mountain. Now, in one sense, this is somewhat talking about physically. Now, I'm not saying that the temple is just going to be this huge physical structure, but it's going to be rebuilt physically. Everybody's going to be able to see it. It's going to be more grand and glorious than ever before. But really, it's talking about its importance. It's talking about its prominence. This temple on the mountain is going to be more important. It's going to be more uh, prominent than all the other temples, than all the other places, than all the other mountains on the earth. Now, why is it so important that this temple is just a big temple? Why does Micah spend so much time 
talking about this. Because what do you do in the temple of God? It's where you worship the Lord. Mike is saying that the temple is going to be prominent. It's going to be raised up above all the other mountains. And therefore, the worship of God is elevated above the worship of anything else. This mountain that Mike is talking about, it was first exalted or it's first really given importance when David brings the Ark of the Covenant back into Israel and he puts it on this mountain. Solomon later would build the temple. David wanted to build the temple, but he couldn't because he was a man of war. Micah is telling us that this mountain is going to be high. It's going to be lifted up. This temple will be higher than all of the other mountains. And notice what else he says. And it shall be lifted up higher than all the other hills. There's not going to be a place on the earth that's more important than the temple. It's not only referring to the temple of God, but also just to the city of Jerusalem in general. People are going to come to this city. It's going to be lifted up. It's going to be important. This temple, Jerusalem as the city of God, is going to be the center of this kingdom. And notice the last phrase of verse 1, and the peoples shall flow to it. People will want to go to the temple. People will want to go to the city of God to worship and just be around him. A couple years ago, my friend Jake and I, on our way back from a wedding, we decided to take a trip to Niagara Falls. We'd both never been to Niagara Falls before, and so we were coming back, and we decided that we'd spend an hour or so going and getting off the route to Niagara Falls. But if you've ever been there, it doesn't just take an hour to go see Niagara Falls. You've got to get onto a completely different route on the road. You've got to go and find a parking spot, which there's no parking nearby. So we had to find a parking garage and then walk all the way to the falls There were thousands of tourists there for some reason that day. A ton of tourists that we had to walk around and try to get to. And we're pretty big guys, but we still had to kind of push our way to the edge just so we could see a little glimpse of Niagara Falls, take a picture, and then do all that in reverse so that we could leave. It took us, by the time we got off of our course and got to the falls and came back, it added about three or four hours to our trip. It was not just a quick trip to Niagara Falls like we thought it would be, but it was a rather long trip to the falls. Everybody, and that's really the only time in my life that I've been to an attraction like that, where it's like everybody was just rushing to see it. You couldn't really get your eyes on it unless you were really trying. But everybody was coming to it. Mike is telling us that there's coming a day when everybody is going to be flowing to the city of God once again. You see, in the last three chapters of Micah, we've seen where Jerusalem hasn't gotten it right. Jerusalem's been sinful. They've worshipped idols. They've not been the city of God like they should. They weren't a very good capital city. But Micah is telling us that in the kingdom, the capital city, Jerusalem, the temple, the center of the kingdom is going to be 
better. But it's not just going to be better because it's Jerusalem, but it's going to be better because it's a place where God is worshipped. The kingdom is important because one day we will have future and better fellowship with God. We worshiped God this morning. We sang several songs in praise to him. We worship God in prayer, acknowledging what a great God he is. But one day we will have future and better fellowship with him in the kingdom. Why will the capital be better? Why will this temple be better than anything we have on earth? Because it's where Jesus will be. It's where he will be worshipped. It's where all these people are going and they're flowing to just to see him. Think about if worship is so important in the future kingdom, then shouldn't worship be important in our lives as well? The worship of God. And while we don't have the temple physically here, each and every Sunday we worship God and we sing songs and praise to him. Every day our lives should be an act of worship, as Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Many people get caught up in the things of this life and money and what kind of house they're going to have and their apartment, sometimes even their dog. I can be guilty of that. We can get so distracted by the things of this life that we never think about the coming kingdom of God. We never think about worshiping him there. And I'm not saying this so that we're so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good. But there are some days when we need to think about the kingdom of God so that we can do some earthly good here. So that we can have a right perspective on eternity. Pastor Reed and I used to talk about this, how there's so many pastors and it's not necessarily, not necessarily wrong for them to do that, but they... Talk about now, relationships, things that are happening today, but they never talk about the future. They never talk about eternity. They never talk about what is going to be coming. But where will we spend more time? What's longer? Our lifespans of, you know, maybe a hundred years or a little bit over that total, or a thousand years ruling and reigning with Christ in the kingdom. The kingdom will be better because as a better capital, because that's where we will worship the Lord. Secondly, notice the kingdom will have better leadership. Look at verse 2. These people, they're coming to the kingdom. And we see this again, starting in the first phrase. And many nations shall come. It's not just peoples, but notice there's actually different nations going to the capital. There's different nations, ethnic nations around the kingdom that are starting to come. What do they say? Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. This is a place they're excited, they're eager to go to. That he may teach us his ways. Why are they excited to go to the kingdom? Why are they so anxious to get there? So that they can learn the ways of the Lord. That we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Why is everyone so excited to come to this capital and to this kingdom and this city? Because it's where they can learn the ways of the Lord. It's where they can learn how to live. 
It's where they can learn his law. It's where they can learn how to be like him. This leader, this king who will be over the kingdom. He's talked about in chapter 5, in verse 2, But you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, who are too little among the clans of Judah, for you, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler of Israel. Who's going to be the king of this kingdom? It's Christ. He will rule and reign here on the earth. And in verse 2 we see many people are coming and they want to learn his ways. They want to walk in his paths. Why? Because it's better than anything they've ever known before. They want to be like Jesus. They want to learn from him. They not only want to worship him, they want to learn and walk in his ways. What does it mean to learn his ways? Well, we see later it says, from Zion should come forth the law. It's learning what he's commanded, what he's written to us to do. Walking in his paths, ordering your life the way that God intends for you to. The kingdom is going to be so great, so perfect, because there's going to be this focus and this desire to be like Jesus. And we know this should be the focus of every one of our lives as well. But even in the kingdom, there will be this focus on becoming like Christ, learning his ways. He's a better ruler. He's a better leader than anything else we have. We see this again in verse 3. He shall judge between many peoples. We talked about last week in chapter 3. There are these disputes, these fights going on between people. And they had imperfect judges. He says, your judges don't know justice. They hate good and they love evil. They actually detest justice, as he would say later in chapter 3. What does Micah say here? There's going to be a king... There's going to be a ruler, and he will judge between many peoples. He's going to be the perfect judge. He's going to make the right decisions. If there's a case that comes to him, he's going to get it right. It says he shall decide disputes from far nations, far away. These nations would come to Jesus, and they'd have their issues, they'd have their problems, and Christ would will decide and he will settle their disputes it reminds me of solomon who as king had two women come to him over which baby was truly theirs one of them had died in the middle of the night and solomon wisely says let's just cut the baby in half and you can have one half and you can have the other half and what happened the mother of the child was willing to give the baby up so that it would be okay and solomon knew that was the mother you know what happened after that though the rulers the queen of sheba all these nations came and they went to solomon they said you are so wise help us settle our disputes we want to learn your wisdom and in a much more grand and glorious and powerful way this will be what christ does in the kingdom many will come to him and they'll have disputes and he will Help them solve them. He will be a better leader. Everyone will want to be like him. Everyone will want to learn his ways, his paths. 
that want to love and worship him. This would be so different than the leadership that Israel had. It's so different than even leaders that we have in our nation today. Do you ever get frustrated with the leadership, either in your city, in your state, in your nation? Do you ever complain about the news, things that people are doing, decisions that leaders make? I'm sure nobody in our church has ever done that. Gotten upset about what leaders have done. Heard about a prosecuting attorney in Virginia the other day who said that she would not or that he would not prosecute any women who decided to have an illegal abortion if Roe versus Wade was overturned, that he wouldn't prosecute them, that he actually wouldn't uphold the law as the prosecuting attorney. It's very crazy. What a crazy world that we live in. Those whose jobs who have been voted and appointed to uphold the law would outright say that they would break it. You think we need better rulers? You think we need better leaders in our world today? What's so great about the kingdom, what's so wonderful about the coming kingdom of God is that there is a better ruler in Christ. He will make better decisions. He will make better judgments. People will want to learn his ways. When you get frustrated with your leadership, city, state, country, church leadership, whatever that authority looks like in your life, do you think about the coming kingdom of God, that your allegiance is to King Jesus? Do you place your hope in that? Instead of finding your hope in politics and Fox News or CNN or whatever you decide to watch on TV, you can find your hope in Jesus. You can hope in Christ. Thirdly, this kingdom will be at peace. This kingdom will be at peace. Look at the end of verse 3. These people... These nations who have disputes, it says they shall beat their swords into plowshares. Their weapons that they have, their swords, they have no other use for them. So they turn them into tools for farming, into plowshares. They shall turn their spears into pruning hooks. Spears used for battle, swords used for battle, are turned into instead tools for Farming and for agriculture. They would be used for something else. Can you imagine if this happened in our world today? And tanks are used to transport people around. And military bases are used for housing. This is saying, what this text is saying is that there will be no war. There will be no conflict. The kingdom will be at peace. There'd be no needs for swords anymore, so they would be used for farming. There would be no need for spears as well. It says, nations should not lift up sword against nation. There won't be this political or geographic conflict anymore between nations. Neither shall they learn war. There won't be need to fight. There won't be need for nations to be at war with each other 
The kingdom will be at peace. If you ever look at the news today, all the wars that are going on, the war in Ukraine, the war on terrorism, all the wars we've had throughout our lifetime, and just pray and hope for peace. There's only going to be one time when there is true world peace, and that is during this future kingdom. These people who are at peace, and why are they at peace? Because Christ is there. He's settled these conflicts. He's defeated the enemy. The nations are at peace with each other. There's no need to fight. This text isn't talking about gun control for today, necessarily. I don't want you to think that I'm trying to take away your guns or anything. But rather, that there's no worry about war. There's no worry about security. They're at peace during this kingdom. This is the freedom and peace that so many people who have gone to war have fought for, that so many people have envisioned this idea that we can live at perfect peace with others. And notice verse 4. Instead of going to war, instead of fighting, what will people spend their time doing? But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. Instead of going to war, fighting, learning about war, what will all these guys be doing? Well, they'll just be sitting under their trees. They'll just be hanging out, shooting the breeze. The vine trees, the figs, they were some of the most expensive and wealthy crops that you could have in that day. It's a sign that the nation will be at peace, the kingdom will be at peace, and it will be wealthy as well. It'll be a time of great prosperity for them. They'll have everything figured out. They'll have everything they want. It's even better than retirement. They've got it all right there. And all they do is just sit under their vine and under their fig tree. And look at that last phrase. And no one should make them afraid. What enables these people to just sit there shooting the breeze, not worrying about anything? Well, there's no one there to make them afraid. Why? For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. When God speaks, everything is at peace. If you think about just even the voice of God throughout all of time, when God spoke in Genesis, what happened? The world was created. Everything you see before you today is a result of God speaking. When God speaks to people, man is created. When God speaks, man was created. And he said man was very good. When mankind sinned against God, God simply spoke and they were separated from him for all of eternity. When Christ was baptized, God spoke and he said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then when Christ died on the cross and said, It is finished, God spoke and we were given redemption through Jesus Christ. The power of God speaking through creation, through all of history, we even see it here. People would not be afraid, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken.
Do you want future peace? Do you want future security, prosperity, wealth? It is coming in the future kingdom of God. There's so many things we do to feel secure. And they're not wrong things. It's right for us to lock the doors when we're in the house by ourselves or if I'm in the church by myself. We lock the doors sometimes. It's right for us to sometimes have security systems, to sometimes carry firearms, to have a military, to have people to watch over and fight wars and be defenses. It's right for us to have police, security at different banks and institutions, at colleges. Those aren't bad things. Those are things we even need for the world that we live in today because we're not at peace, because man is sinful, because man's heart is depraved. But we don't find our ultimate peace, our ultimate rest, our ultimate security in locked doors and security guards and guns and home security systems. We find our peace in Christ. We find our peace in the fact that he has spoken that he's spoken to us throughout his word, throughout time, and that one day in his kingdom, we will be at peace. This kingdom will have a better capital. This kingdom will have better leadership. It will be at peace. But maybe the most important and the greatest aspect of the kingdom is lastly that it will be the Lord's. It will be the Lord's. For all the peoples will walk in the name of its God. All the other nations, this is talking about a time present for Micah. All these other nations will walk in the name of their gods. Some people followed Baal, the Canaanites. The Philistines followed Dagon. Some of the people of Israel worshipped false gods. All these nations would worship after false gods. But he says, we will walk in the name of of the Lord our God forever and ever. What is so great about the kingdom is not just that it'll be at peace, is not just that it has better leadership, is not just that it has a better capital, but that it's a nation under the Lord. You think of one nation under God, this will be a kingdom that is truly under the leadership and lordship of Jesus Christ in a way like no other nation before. It's also a reminder for us today that as believers in Jesus Christ, it was a reminder for them as the people of Israel to walk in the name of the Lord their God forever and ever, to be devoted to him, our allegiance, our loyalty, Our devotion, our care, all is to the Lord. It's all about Him. We live in a great nation, America. We live in a great time in history. People have fought and died for our freedoms. I'm not taking anything away from that. But our ultimate allegiance is to Christ. Our ultimate allegiance is to Him, even above our families even above our friends, even above our nations. There's so many Christians, there's so many churches in America today who get it all flipped around 
and they're ultimately allegiant to their country more than their allegiance is to Christ. That should not be us as believers. There's nothing wrong with America. There's nothing wrong with the flag. But there is something wrong with putting those things above your relationship with Christ, your allegiance to him. What will be so great about this coming kingdom is that it is a kingdom, it is a people who is under the rule and reign of Christ, committed to loving and obeying him. So if Christ's kingdom is coming, if this is the future of believers, then what should we do? Well, first, we should share his gospel. We should say the kingdom is coming, that this future time is coming. And you don't want to be on the wrong side, sharing the gospel with others. Secondly, we want to share his gospel We also want to read his word. Read the Bible. Know what it says. This is what we're going to be doing in heaven, learning his ways, following his paths. And we want to do this on earth as well. And then lastly, worship him. If Christ's kingdom is coming, we should worship Christ and Christ alone. Our allegiance is to him and him alone, so he is the object of our worship. That's more than just singing about him. That's more than just coming to church every Sunday. But we put him at the center of our lives. He's at the throne of our hearts. You know what the problem was with the people of Israel? They'd let other gods, other things, other desires sit at the throne of their hearts. They'd had a different God over their life. And we look at that today and we think, oh, that's silly. How could they worship false idols? Yet each and every one of us has something in our lives that we want to put in the place of God. That we want to control our worship. That we want to spend all our time doing, focusing on, caring about when we should worship Christ. When he should be at the center of our lives What a shame would it be to get to heaven, to enter this kingdom even here on earth and look at Christ and say, I didn't worship you like I should. There were times in my life when I let other things sit on the throne of my my heart, dominate my desires, have my satisfaction, and I wasn't focused on you and you alone. Christ's kingdom is coming. We should share the gospel with others. Tell them of this coming kingdom, this future peace that we will be at. We should read his word and then we should worship him and him alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the message of the book of Micah, that there is no God like you. There is no one like you at all. There's no one, there's no kingdom, there's no nation like your coming kingdom, Lord. We're privileged to be here worshiping you this morning. We ask now that as we consider the Lord's table, that you would help us to do so with hearts that are thankful for what you have done for us, that remember your sacrifice on the cross for sin. 
We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.